Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Delighted you can join us again for another episode of the pod. Lots going on over the last week since the pod was last with you. A publication of the REC's report on jobs uh, on the 9th of uh, September, confirming some trends that uh, we've been seeing in the market. Certainly temporary work bouncing back much quicker than permanent work, uh, possibly with the exception of in IT and a, a real split between some sectors that are bouncing back very, very quickly in terms of blue collar and IT, as I mentioned, uh, but also sectors like construction and slower on retail and hospitality, as you might expect, but also on office work. You can check out the latest report on jobs on the REC website at rec.uk.com. We've also had uh, economic data through to the end of July from the ONS on the 11th of September. Notable there that uh, the rate of growth in uh, July was really quite robust, so strong bounce back as things opened up. We expect that to continue in August, particularly driven by things like eat out to help out. At the moment, that means that the economy is about 11% smaller than it was in February, or if the, the way you might like to think of it was at the peak of the lockdown, the economy was about the size it was in 2003. It's now the size it was in 2013. And the challenge now is how quickly can we get it back to the size that it was in early 2020? So lots to do. Big part of that, of course, is the upcoming budget. And the REC submission on that is going into the Treasury very soon. Lots of focus on measures that work with the market around skills, around national insurance, things that will help push uh, push activity in the in the hiring market but also an offer from the industry to help tackle unemployment I think on that you'll have seen the Kickstarter program launched recently the REC is looking to act as an aggregator for those businesses who can offer the 30 places that uh, that you need to to become an official provider do get in touch with us if you think you might have one or two opportunities that you would like to offer and we can put that together with other recruiters across the country and really make that work and make a difference because I think as well as asking uh, government for uh, the things that we need as businesses we ought also to be putting our shoulders to the wheel at this moment of national crisis. Two last bits of REC business. We had a fantastic annual conference uh, last week on the 8th of, of September, a really great day. If you were registered for, uh, for the day, you could access all of the sessions online on the conference site for a month. Uh, and we are also producing a digital guide, an ebook for all REC members with the key lessons from the conference, and that's going to be available very soon. So look out for that coming from the REC. Other things we're uh, we're preparing for, I think in particular, everyone's thoughts turning to IR35 uh, reform in April. There are some REC seminars running now. Do have, uh, do check those out on the REC website. Now let's turn to uh, the business for today and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, one of our speakers from REC 2020 but also one of the, the best known people in the industry, the chairman of the Reed Group, uh, James Reed. James, thank you for joining us on the uh, REC pod. Hello Neil, it's a real pleasure to talk to you and, and I, I just want to say thanks to everyone at the REC because 
you've been working like Trojans since this pandemic started, and and I think it's appreciated by all of us members. So thanks for that. Well, thank you, James. That's uh, appreciated by uh, all of us at the REC, and I think um, moments like this are an opportunity for us to come together as an industry and and not only demonstrate the good that we do and and supporting people in tough times, but also to make sure that we 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 build back stronger as a as a recruitment and staffing industry. And it's probably a good place to start, isn't it, in terms of where we are now with the world of work and. Uh, of course, you have one of the broadest views in the industry with both uh, uh, what the Reed recruitment business is telling you, but obviously with Reed.co.uk giving you some really uh, clear data on trends in in the market and working with many REC members as well. Um, what are you seeing at the moment that has really piqued your interest? And I think particularly about, as I was talking about the GDP de- data a moment ago, as we as GDP bounces back, what normalises and and what the where the big changes are? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, this year has been obviously unlike any other. It's a special year, um, but the the sort of pandemic had such a big hit on the economy in the spring, and and the contraction was so fast and so great that in a way the only way now is up, and 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 probably for the first time in a long time in my career, you can look forwards. Uh, uh, to growth, because you know the economy, as as you said in the introduction, came back quite well in July. Um, we're now at 2013 rather than 2003, I think it is. So we've made 10 years progress in a month, and and I think that's encouraging for us in in um, recruitment because momentum is important, and and if the economy is growing, um, we have an important role to play in helping companies source people. And find people, and I'm and I'm saying to our clients now is a, is a really good time to recruit because there are so many talented people available, and so many talented people through no fault of their own are on the market, so it's a great time to recruit and to invest in people. So overall, I think our, our industry has a busy few months ahead, and and I feel positive about it now. I, I was obviously quite concerned six six months ago, but now I feel positive. Um, but, but beneath that, there are some very significant changes that have occurred. And you mentioned that there were fewer white-collar jobs. That's something I've seen, um, and that's very pronounced. Uh, and another change is that the number of um, jobs in London ha- ha- has contracted. So the sort of pulling power of London is less than it was. But the positive side of that is that I think wealth and work will be more reasonably and, uh, and regionally distributed. And, and so... You know, for the rest of the UK, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's an interesting insight. I was on a, a, a call earlier today with um, a few business leaders in London and uh, some people from the BRC, mm. and we were reflecting on the fact that even in London, you're seeing retail stores in places like Kingston or Enfield significantly outperforming year on year. Uh, while in the centre of the city where people are reliant on public transport to get places or people might have to be in London for work, your numbers are still down 50% or more uh, by comparison to to previous years. And of course, one of the challenges with that is the the kind of scale of employment in some of these consumer-facing industries, um, hospitality, uh, retail. I mean, the, there's a... Uh, 
you know, I remember uh, Justin King saying at a CBI meeting years ago that it was great that the, the cabinet met at Rolls-Royce three times a year, but most people work for him or Terry Leahy. Now, that's uh, kind of classic supermarket boss bravado, but, but in many ways that 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 kind of view of a sector like retail as a really big employment sector is absolutely right. And so one of the challenges I think we're seeing is as that economic geography changes, how we help people either go with that economic geography or transition into something new and different is going to be a really big challenge. And I think it it probably requires a different form of leadership in 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 businesses and in um, and in recruitment firms. I mean, you mentioned earlier that now's a good time to to think about growing uh, your business with good people on the market. What other things would you pull out as kind of critical points for for people leading recruitment businesses uh, right now to have on their mind? Yeah. Well, there's been there's. There's been this is this is a, a big change that's underway, and and it's not. I mean, I, I feel in a way we're we're living in a type of twilight zone. It's not clear what the new equilibrium will look like, and it's still emerging. But I mean, there's been a lot of talk about remote working and flexible working, and and we've all been through a great big experiment in how to work remotely, and many people have learned a lot of things about how to do that, and and can do it very efficiently now. So that that's here to stay. And, and, and I think from a recruitment leadership point of view, there's been less talk about remote leadership. And, and, and typically those two words don't sit well together because you know a remote leader in the past would have been someone in an ivory tower who was out of touch and, and, and not making good decisions. So what does remote leadership in the modern sense look like or should it look like and how, how do you lead a lead an organization where, where the the workforce might be at, you know, working at home for a considerable part of the time how, how do you ensure that you don't become a company of strangers and i've been thinking about this a lot because you know i'm, I'm sitting in my home office and i have the door open as i would in my office in london but you know, I might have an open door policy, but no one's come in through that door apart from my dog in the last six months. <laughs> it's sort of, uh, it's hard to hard to um, to maintain contact. And I think it's really important, you know, for for those of us in leadership roles in recruitment or indeed anywhere else, to try and be as visible as we can be. And 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 these new digital means of doing that are, are, are literally at our fingertips, and we should take full advantage of them. So I think sort of. Ensuring your visibility um, is even more important now. The, the other thing I would say is, is I think outputs are particularly important. You know, in the past, we might have sort of walked into the office and I would I always like to say, you know, that I could tell within seconds whether one of our offices was doing well or not just from the atmosphere when you walked in. And of course, now it's harder to do that. Um, but how, how, how can we look at outcomes rather than processes and, and, and really ensure that um, you know, people are, are delivering and, and, and that the work is being done? So I think visibility and an outcome 
output focus is um, what's required. And there'll be new ways of measuring that. Um, but we're sort of heading towards, I think, a hybrid model where people will work in the office some of the time. They'll come together in the office for particular events or meetings to plan plan work for the future. But we won't necessarily be sitting next to each other every day of the week as we did in the past. So finding a new way of organizing oneself to do that effectively is is something I'm sort of focusing on now because, you know, our offices are open, uh, people are back, but they also want to work flexibly. I think that piece around how we manage people and how people manage their own lives as well is really challenging for lots of sectors. But, you know, I, you know, I started in the sector in the 90s and, you know, so I, I have a sort of quite a 1990s formed view of kind of how things are done you, you get the whiteboard you make sure you hit your calls numbers and 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 things kind of flow from that um and that that of course is true to to an extent but that is inherently a model of organization that involved my boss sitting on the desk with me um and there, there was a kind of visible performative part of doing the job that showed you were moving it forward and of course the minute people are dispersed that becomes more difficult but also we were already having discussions about you know the whether there were ways of getting better returns as recruitment businesses from you know how uh, how we run our uh, run our systems and you know the innovation that that was read.co.uk and it's uh, when it first started was probably the the first real focus point for many recruitment businesses of thinking well our candidate sourcing is going to change fundamentally and we've seen all sorts of things come along since then including sites like linkedin which have you know, kind of complexified our understanding of what productivity is in a recruitment business and maybe you know if being heretical maybe this is the 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 kind of inflection point that we needed as uh, recruitment businesses to stand back from the old production model and say well how do we take the stuff that we know works from the production model that we have and build it into something new that does also support the fact that we know people aren't always going to be together on a desk um, for eight, eight nine hours a day. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I've always thought, you know, it doesn't matter where an office is, it matters who's in it. You know, we, we are in a people business and and it's important to make sure we keep and attract the best people to our businesses. So, you know, how we organize ourselves needs to be appealing to the people we want to come and join us. Uh, and And they have lots of options the good ones. And so uh, uh, it's important that we offer a way of working that works for them. But I think it's quite interesting. I think you know a lot of um, people uh, find that technology enables them to work in ways and, and at times of day when they maybe couldn't or wouldn't have done before very effectively. So I, I, you know, what is the modern you know, new equivalent of the morning stand-up meeting or the kickoff meeting and the whiteboard? Well, it, it will be digital in, in many aspects. The, the um, important thing, I think, is to create a, a really strong sense of common purpose you know, a real sense of team and being, you know, in this together. And I, and I think if, if everyone's pulling in the same direction, as long as it's well organized and clear, um, we can be very effective. And this is, a, this is a, I'm sure, a, a point of great change. And, and the way we live and work 
will be different as as a result of it. But I think it's important to embrace it, really. You know, when we started read.co.uk, the the internet was an emerging thing that we were curious about. We thought, let's just give this a go. And we we learned as we went along. And and this feels the same. You know, we won't get it right all the time or the first time, but we'll learn as we go along. And we've got to find new ways of working and engaging with people. But at the same time, ensure that we give our clients and candidates an even better service. So there's, there's lots to think about, which is exciting. Yeah, I think um, I think I felt the same about running fully digital conferences around ours. And um, you know, when I was opening up the conference, I sort of rested on this kind of Hayekian belief I have that the um, that the economy is fundamentally organic. You know, it's an agglomeration of people uh, which picks up the the um, the approach that that you've taken, looking at kind of read offices around the country. Which, of course, you know, there's something that emphasises humanity. And you talk about your uh, uh, the, the slightly less busy open door uh, that you have now. But the flip side of that and your point on visibility is, of course, that many people in businesses have seen inside the leaders' uh, lives. They've, you know, we've invited people into our our homes. I remember doing one meeting um, with. Uh, uh, chief executive of one of the major firms in the industry who shall remain nameless where one of their children wa- wandered across in the background to pick something up off the printer and left again and and they were very embarrassed but you know i i was just pleased that uh, that their child closed the door behind them as they left because i know mine wouldn't have um, so there's a kind of a humanity about this moment that maybe is helpful in terms of in terms of what happens next I think that's completely right. I mean, we've got to know people in a different way and leaders may be less accessible in some ways and more accessible in others. And, and I think seeing in people's homes and seeing that, you know, they're human is entirely good, actually. You know, that's um, that's positive. And I thought that your conference was very successful and, 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 and being digital made it possible for a lot more people to attend so you know that 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 was a different way of delivering a lot of information that i thought worked very well and you know and i I, earlier this week i did you know what we call an all hands meeting for the team at read online where i took questions from people across the company and 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 people really enjoyed it and appreciate it and 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 i think one of the pieces of feedback i got was that the perhaps the shyer more introverted person who maybe wouldn't have asked a question in a room full of 300 people was happier to do so online. And I think that's really important that you, you, you hear from everyone. So we get feedback and questions in a different way and it's in a different environment. But I do think at the same time, it's important to keep the experience upbeat that, that, you know, that there's an energy about it because it can be hard when you're speaking to a you know, 300 people and you can't see any of them and you're getting no feedback <laughs> to, to, to sustain your enthusiasm because that's not how you would have typically worked in the past. But I think enthusiasm is so important that um, you know, we, we must find new ways of doing that. I think that's absolutely right. And the, there's a whole um, slew of evidence emerging that, you know, that kind of different people have reacted very differently to this period. And you certainly I've heard, 
at least one FTSE 100 HRD that I've had a chat to over the last few months has reflected on the fact that they're definitely seeing people that they regard as introverts doing better in internal job interviews. They're definitely seeing them asking more questions. So there's a that mixed model that you talked about earlier potentially is once we have more control over individuals working lives again, individuals be able to choose the things that they know produces their best work. And therefore, and that ought to be a benefit to to all of us. Um, while we have you, James, I wanted to ask you about the Keep Britain Working campaign, because part of this humanity, of course, is we know that as a nation, we have a massive shared challenge coming in terms of rising unemployment, I think, particularly for our young people who are disproportionately in sectors like retail or as they come into the labour force from school and education. What's the genesis behind the campaign and what are you trying to achieve with it? Well, the, the, the purpose of the campaign, which were, which began in the spring, was and is to preserve as many jobs as possible and to protect livelihoods. And, um, you know, over the, the, the course of the lockdown and since, um, the campaign has been a source of ideas and it's brought people together who maybe have been able to transfer workers from one organisational situation to another. And um, we've written papers and had contributors who've um, made suggestions to policymakers and we've had support from people in the recruitment sector. Mawson's is another company that's particularly involved, and they've been supporting and running the campaign in the north of England, uh, which is where they're based. It's primarily to keep work and the importance of work front of mind. And I think the campaign has succeeded in doing that. We've had a lot of traffic. We've had a lot of um, support and input. But I think it's also important that it comes up with ideas, and, and we've we've created papers to do that. The furlough scheme, obviously, was a, a very major and important intervention by the government. It's now in its last stages. You know, what, what will happen after that? And I, I think that's a question that we should be asking now. And, and how can we as, as recruiters and as supporters of this campaign come up with ideas and suggestions that will help people transition? I mean, there is going to be a large adjustment um, and there is potentially a a, a big risk of mass unemployment. So we as a company and, and the other companies that we're engaged with through the campaign are looking at ways that we can mitigate that. And and the next six months will be particularly important in that respect. Absolutely see that. And it's been a pleasure for the REC to be involved on the edges of, of this campaign, because I do think, you know, going to the heart of the kind of kickstarter comments i made earlier and some of the other work we're doing under the rec's memorandum of understanding with the department for work and pensions i do think that ultimately recruiters are the specialists in these transitions and then there must be a role for us working with government and with clients uh, to to help smooth the path of transition that lots of people will face and as we do that you know i think it, it's enlightened self-interest to a certain extent um I, I think hopefully kind of reframe and rephrase the the role that the sector plays in supporting uh british business so that i think there's a lot for us uh, for for us to do there um I, 
beyond just kind of which government policies we we would like or otherwise. Can I ask you specifically about one concern you've raised quite recently, uh, James, which was around uh, the risks of a price war? And I know you had a piece in City City AM on the 11th of September. What was the the kind of thrust of that? Well, the, the, the concern I have is that, you know, the eat out to help out scheme, you know, 100 million meals were claimed and it was successful. It was a good thing to do. I think with hindsight, it was welcome and successful and it got people going out again and spending a bit of money. Um, subsequent to that, though, the, the sort of hospitality sector has been split by by some companies still pursuing very aggressive discounting and, 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 and others trying to revert to a more normal or, or, or sustainable way of pricing, and and this is this this phenomena of of, of, of price cutting is um, you know seen across the economy. And Morrison's also announced that you know, they were reducing the prices on two hundred products, you know, by twenty three percent, and it was it was for a long period of time. And other supermarkets have done the same. And as consumers, that that's that's obviously attractive. But my concern is that this puts a downward pressure on um, wages. Because you know, the, the company's margins will be squeezed, uh, their top line income might grow, but their um, ability to pay uh, well and fairly will be compromised or could be. And and if you look back in history, you know what happened in the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression is you know prices went down, wages went down, prices went down again, wages went down again, and 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 the the, the economy went into a sort of death spiral. And and I'm really anxious and concerned that we avoid that this time because there is potential for a you know depression uh, uh, that that um could arise from you know, a price war of this type and it, it's right across the economy it's not just in hospitality so and 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 i was further alerted to it by the sort of mention that the minimum wage might not be increased in the way that had been planned and that that was being reviewed and i just think Personally, if, if, you know, that would be that would be potentially problematic, or could be potentially problematic, because it takes money out, or takes money that would have been in the pockets of the lower paid, who would have likely spent it, and um, and it could contribute to less economic development, or worse, a retraction. Well, let me try and offer you some reassurance on that last point, James. I spent yesterday with my low pay commission colleagues, and um, I suppose the fact that the low pay commission was reviewing the affordability of a rise in uh, April 2021 would be news uh, if you if that wasn't what the LPC did every year. Uh, your points around what's the impact of a wage rise on the economy and employment and incomes broadly, I think are the really important ones and certainly on the commission, we are taking our time to weigh all this up. There's certainly no Kind of, well, for one, there isn't a there isn't a target rate for April 2021. We don't know what that target rate might be until we get the ash data in October. Um, but also, then every year we then have a debate around whether that's the right step. In some years it is, in some years it isn't. So, uh, uh, I think your points are well made. And I, I suppose speaking for uh, me and my my eight colleagues on the LPC, I think at that point about a wage price spiral is certainly on our on our minds as well. Well, I'm pleased to hear that, Neil. Do forward them the article. I will. I will do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, do. And, yeah. and uh, I think it's a I think it's a 
a, a good and interesting piece. I suppose it leads us to probably what's my final question for you on the pod, which is, you know, what is the role of government from here? Because I, I think lots of government intervention up to now has been about either sustaining the economy in cryogenic freeze, like furlough, or pump priming the economy in startup like Eat Out to help out. What should we as businesses be looking to government for in the months to come while we're stepping up ourselves in the ways we've discussed? I think government economically, I mean, aside from the sort of medical emergency, economically sort of responded you know, quickly and, and helpfully um, uh, so far. And I think, you know, the furlough scheme is the prime example of that, but also what they did with rates and other things um, was uh, helpful for business as well. I think there's a real opportunity for government now, um, and this is combined with Brexit, but also to think really carefully about how to reform and improve the sort of business ecosystem in Britain. Um, and, and the labour market, it should be central, uh, first and foremost, on their mind, really, uh, in, in doing that, because it, it's fundamental to all of our lives. Uh, and I think there are some real improvements that could be made to the, the workings of the labour market that will, 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 will oil the wheels and enable people to get back to work more quickly if they've lost their jobs or move up into new jobs. And, uh, and um, it's ripe for reform. Uh, and I suppose I would take a sort of deregulatory view, and we've had lots of lots of um, legislation over the years. Some of it from Europe, some of it domestic. All of it well intentioned that we've you know, learned from, and we can see some bits work better than others. And I'd I'd like government to to look at how you know think of the decade ahead. How can we, having gone through this crisis, really improve the ecosystem so that businesses and most importantly individual people really flourish? And, and that will take a bit of time and attention, but I think that's a that should be an important priority. The other thing is is the the skills agenda, uh, and and the opportunity we have now with digital learning um, to really improve the level of skills across the workforce and, and, and to help young people coming into the workforce much more meaningfully than as I mean meaningfully than has happened in the recent past. I think the apprenticeship scheme could be improved so that more companies embrace it. I think the kickstart scheme sounds good, but you know, let's get on with it. Um, how can we get more young people onto those programs and companies embracing them? And I think the, the opportunity to sort of extend and improve people's skills must be one that's taken because um, that is a that's a life-changing thing for 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 people and and there are so many shortages all of us in recruitment know you can't find you know they're like hen's teeth some of these skills and they shouldn't be uh, i've been in recruitment for three or four decades and and you know it's still hard to find certain types of engineers and certain types of technologists and 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 that's pushing it at an open door if we can train more people up they'll do well and we'll do well as recruiters and the country will do well I think that skills focus is absolutely right. It's right at the heart of what the REC are saying to the Chancellor ahead of the budget because, in essence, we've gone through the phase of all in on protecting jobs. Now it's about protecting those jobs that are genuinely just cyclically being damaged by social distancing and things that we hope aren't with us this time next year. But where those jobs are ultimately going, we're helping people find pathways into the things that are sustainable without 
government subsidy. Um, and uh, that, by and large, means is likely to mean things with different and higher skill sets. So that, that all makes perfect sense to me. James, um, thank you for, for joining us on the REC podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to have a chance to have a chat. Thank you, Neil. Good to talk to you as well. Wish you all the best. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking Recruitment. If you've enjoyed today's episode, a couple of other ones that you might like to have a think about listening listening to, our last episode uh, featuring Kelly Services and Search Consultancy about how recruiters can build back better is well worth a listen, as is my colleague Kate Shusman's chat with the FT's tax correspondent Emma Agumang about IR35 and all sorts of other issues really good listens you can check both of those out on the rec website but for now thank you again for listening and we'll be back soon with another episode of the rec podcast thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this podcast join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.